Heavenly Father, God, we do praise you. Lord, as we've been singing about your love, and now just singing about your victory that we have in you, Jesus. Some of us come here defeated feeling. But we know that every promise is yes in Christ. And so God, may we just look to you with all confidence, Jesus, that you are our deliverer. That you are our God. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 10? And thank you for joining us here live and also online for those that are tuning in. We're glad you're also tuning in and being the church no matter where we are, whether it's here live together or somewhere else. Um, I have quite a few books here, so I'm going to get to that in a second, but I don't want it to be in the way here. Glad that you are here. And thank you. I just want to say also thank you to all the vets. Thank you for your service. I'm a little bit partial because to the Marines, because uh, my daughter is Marine. Uh, but we honor and thank you for all uh, branches of the military. So thank you for what you've done. I appreciate your service. Uh, my heart goes out to you guys. Uh, we're in the third sermon here. In this series, Move Beyond Your Bubble. And so we've been looking at the Christian bubble sometimes we have ourselves in when we don't actually move out to those that are different from us, to those that sometimes we label as impossible, and we don't engage in this mission just by even entering into their world and getting to know them. But sometimes we just insulate ourselves in what's comfortable, what's safe inside our own little Christian bubble. You know, when I think about, though, Acts, as we've been looking at, we've been walking through Acts. We're already here to chapter 10. When I think about Acts and the first century world that the church found themselves in, I realize there's a lot of similarities to today. There's a lot of similarities. When I look at that culture that the church started in, I'm amazed by the similarities that are we face even today and some of the challenges. Some of them like division, oppression, there is sexism, injustice, and even racism. Racism. And the church was in this culture. You see, with the Jewish people, a lot of times there was... Uh, how they viewed their world around them and those that are different, not Jewish, they would call them Gentiles. And so for them, there were just really two people groups for them in a lot of ways, the Jewish person and those that are not Jewish, Gentile. And unfortunately, there was even racism that existed in the midst of the people there. Jewish people sometimes viewed the Gentiles as religiously unclean because many of them were pagan idolaters who worshipped false gods through abominations such as child sacrifice, sexual indulgences. Not all Gentiles did this, but they saw that as something that was not right and that they should avoid these people. Some would not even help a Gentile woman in childbirth because they would be guilty of bringing a Gentile into the world. It's how sad some of the views were. Also, if a Jewish man or woman married a Gentile, a lot of times the Jewish family would have a funeral for their son or daughter and would be considered dead to them because they married someone that was Gentile. And unfortunately, 
this was the culture that they ended up having in the midst of them. Not all of them did, but this was a very harsh reality. Now, this was not God's plan for his people. This was not God's plan for his people. He wanted them to be a light to all the world. Not to create divisions and walls between people. This was not God's plan. But the horrible racism and ethnocentrism was not just one-sided. It also was with Gentiles. Many Gentiles believed Jewish people were less than human. The Roman philosopher Cicero would say, or Cicero would say, as the Greeks say, all men are divided into two classes, Greeks and barbarians, end quote. And they would even despise those that were not Greek, those that would consider Jewish people as barbarians, and anyone else that they was not Greek, and they would often put barriers in the way in their society that would make it very difficult for them to be, succeed, as opposed to some other groups and people groups and races. But then you have Paul drop this gospel bombshell on racism. And even Jesus, in what you see in the Gospels, just shatters all those walls. And then you have Paul say here in Ephesians 2, verse 13 to 14, you hear him say, There is now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He recognizes there's hostility. He recognizes there's division. He recognizes there's a very real thing of racism. And he says, guess what? All that has been demolished by Jesus Christ because he demolished that wall and bringing us to be one in Christ. Because Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Now, I didn't make you feel uncomfortable already. Racism. Why do we need to talk about it? Why do we need to talk about this? Well, you, you could stay in your Christian bubble and, and not really interact with some of the things that we're seeing out there in the world and not actually have a gospel that speaks into these things. And you could just avoid it because it makes you feel uncomfortable. It's a little scary. And we just think sometimes maybe racism will just stop. And reconciliation will just happen. Just people need to become a Christian and then racism will stop. Well, that doesn't always happen. In addition, reconciliation between people groups is at the heart of the gospel. Because reconciliation first happens in that vertical relationship with you and God. Where we were once enemies brought near to God because Jesus died in our place. And we have peace with God. And he also brings peace among each other. Reconciliation is at the very heart of the gospel, the very heart of God. Jesus is our peace. But I think often you and I don't see this sometimes. We don't see this because we fail to see a couple things. We fail to see that sometimes the passive racism or prejudices that exist in us or that we're not self-aware of or even around us 
And sometimes we also reduce the gospel to a very individualistic gospel. Just get me to heaven, Lord. Yes, that's important. Yes, God dies in your place so that you can be with him. But he also, in the gospel, desires a king that sets a kingdom up here on earth that shows the people in this world what it means to love God and love one another. Jesus is our peace. In this passage, Peter's dealing with this. Peter's going to have to deal with this in Acts chapter 10 with a man named Cornelius who was a Gentile. And Peter is a Jew. You see, Peter did know Jesus. He follows Jesus. He's a Christian. Ah, but there were some things that still needed to be worked out in, in Peter. And God didn't want that, just Peter to go along. Because Peter still had some prejudices in him. Peter had some things where he needed the gospel to integrate deeply within him. And so God was going to work on him. You see, John Stott, that theologian, he would write about this passage saying, how would God succeed in breaking down Peter's deep-seated racial intolerance? The principal subject of this chapter is not so much the conversion of Cornelius, a Gentile who becomes a Christian, as the conversion of Peter to a much fuller gospel. A much fuller gospel. Because Peter understood that vertical relationship that Jesus brings us peace, but he still needed that horizontal relationship between all people groups to be worked out. And so my encouragement for you and I, yes, you might feel a little uncomfortable right now, whether you're here in the seat or whether you're here at home, but the gospel makes us uncomfortable. And it's okay because we can move into this and we can learn from this. The scriptures speak about this and we need Jesus to change us. We need to be moving beyond our bubble and staying in the things that we just are comfortable with even talking about and move beyond that and move beyond that to even people and embracing and engaging them being partners of the gospel and bringing peace between all people groups. Between all people groups. Well, how do we do that? Well, let's look at Peter. And let's look at and gain some insight of what God was doing in him that we can gain some insight of how do we be partners of the gospel and bring in peace among all people groups. The first thing is we first need to become self-aware of the passive racism and prejudice that exists in us and around us. This is what God is doing in Peter. So let's actually just follow along with what he is doing here with Peter in chapter 10, verse 1. Let's read. At Caesarea... It doesn't start with Peter first. It starts with a man named Cornelius. A centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now here's a man that looks different, speaks differently, talks differently, has a different probably color skin than Peter did. And it says in verse 2, a devout man who feared God 
with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So here was a man who was a Gentile, but embraced the one true God, Yahweh, that Israel worshipped. And he worshipped God. They would call him God-fearing Gentiles. Well, it continues to say, verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. You would too if an angel appeared. He's not the cute little cherubim that you see in Hallmark cards and stuff. If you see an angel, you'll guarantee you'll probably wet your pants. All right? You will be scared if you see something that is angelic. And here he is, scared in terror. And then he says, what is it, Lord? Meaning just, okay, he realizes this is another spiritual being. He's addressing him like a Lord in respect. And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. It's got his attention. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, This is not like someone going out to get a tan. All right? This is animal skins. That's what that means. Whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So story of the centurion man, Cornelius, getting a vision from God and telling him to go get Peter. And bring him to him. Because he has some things that he wants him to hear. So, the next day, what do we find with Peter? Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour. That is about noon, okay? So lunchtime. To pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened up and something like a great sheet descending, bringing down by its four corners upon the earth. And all were kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. That's just weird. I don't care where you're from, (laughs) right? This picnic Blanket coming down with food. He's probably thinking, oh, I'm hungry. Yeah. And then he sees something that he knows, as someone that's Jewish, he should not eat. But he hears a voice. It's God saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. He's seeing this blanket come down. Birds of the air, reptiles, pigs. I don't know, maybe that's the original pigs in a blanket idea. And a voice from heaven telling Peter, kill and eat. So how does Peter then respond? Verse 14. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, nope. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He's like, no. I don't know if this is a test. I'm not going to fall into it. I'm not going to do that. He's thinking... This is, I know, I grew up with this. I'm not going to touch even anything unclean. Well, how does God respond? He says in verse 15, And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. Other translations say that. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, 
as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Let's just keep reading. Verse 21, And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. All right, let's just stop right there for a second. Peter is perplexed. He's like, what does this even mean? With this blanket coming down, things that I know that I'm not even supposed to touch as someone that's Jewish. And now God's telling me to rise, kill, and eat. What is going on? And then God says, by what God has made clean, do not call common. And he's just perplexed by this. And he's still even pondering the vision. He's still thinking and processing. You would too. I mean, he's just thinking, he's just wondering, what does this exactly mean? See, it hasn't sunk in deep yet. He's not quite self-aware there yet of what does this all mean. But God's working on him. God's working on him, helping him to open his eyes to see. And as I would say in verse uh, 23, let's just continue on to see what Peter ends up doing. Well, the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So he had some, some of his guys, some of his other Christian brothers, come alongside him and go to Cornelius' house. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So now he's got quite a crowd there, right? When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Probably not what Peter expected, all these people. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. Verse 28, And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate, this is the big thing, with with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter gets it now. He gets it. He sees that God is trying to communicate something to him through this blanket and what he knew that he should not touch. And he's saying, God... What Jesus has done in the cross is not just restored us and God, but us and people, breaking down that wall of hostility that exists among people groups. He now is starting to see this gospel where once he was not self-aware of some of the prejudice that he had, he is now self-aware. You see, Peter didn't know what he didn't know. You see that. He was perplexed. He didn't know what this all meant. But as he's going to the, their house, as he's moving towards someone that he knows that he should not even enter into their house, he starts to realize how superficial, how shallow of a gospel that he had. 
He didn't know what he didn't know. And he needed God to help him be more self-aware of his passive racism and prejudice. Like a fish in water, he was just immersed in what he thought was normal. What he grew up with. He needed God to open his eyes. You know, many of us have faced this past spring just the tragic news of with George Floyd. You heard of other incidences with Breonna Taylor, other things that have happened. We've been exposed to the fact of the topic of racism and that it's still here in our country. While there are many symbols of racism that we have taken away, there is still the spirit of racism that is still prevalent. It still exists among us, just as it did then in the first century. And personally, I just want to share with you what it did for me, what God was doing in me and putting me on a journey of deeper learning, just like Peter I felt like God was saying to me, Dave, I want you to be a little bit more self-aware of this, of things in your heart and things around you and the people around you. To be more self-aware. And so I decided, I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to listen. I want to learn, so I'm going to have to listen. And so I called my friend, uh, Kelvin Walker, who's the district superintendent. He's a black man who is the district superintendent of the Metro District here of the Alliance. We had a conversation and talked. I love that man. He's a great guy. And helped me understand certain things that sometimes I just would not see from the perspective of someone that's a person of color. He helped me understand even of things that sometimes uh, some of us get hung up over of with the, the Black Lives Matter movement, what that means and how different that is from the Black Lives Matter organization. That it started a movement from a Christian girl in inner varsity and that she said there is racism that still exists here in the gospel and racism is antithetical to the gospel. And so that hashtag Black Lives Matter movement started. And he helped me understand to see like that the reason why that's said is because until all lives matter, black lives matter. Just as we say of the unborn and those with abortion, until all lives matter, unborn lives matter. Because there's not a voice. There's someone that has to come, confront it. The injustice. Help me see that. He also recommended I read. And I asked him for some books. And he recommended some books. Even right here I brought. I read a lot. H.D. Leader by Derwin Gray. He's a pastor in North Carolina. Insider, outsider. Brian Loritz, also a pastor. Writes, my journey as a stranger in white evangelicalism. And my hope for us all. And then another one, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Beverly Daniel Tatum. And then one that we offer here, actually at our church, the book club, is Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. And we just continue to offer that as a, as a book club, as something that you could even take part in. Enter into the conversation. Learn. Listen. And as I read, I grew just even more self-aware of just passive racism that exists all around us. Maybe sometimes even sadly in the church. 
Passive racism, what I mean is what Beverly Tatum, Daniel Tatum writes in this book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? She writes, she says, this is what passive racism means. For many white people, the image of a racist is a hood-wearing Klan member or a name-calling Archie Bunker figure. These images represent what may be called active racism, blatant intentional acts of racial bigotry and discrimination. Passive racism is more subtle and can be seen in the collusion of laughing when a racist joke is told, letting exclusionary hiring practices go unchallenged, accepting as appropriate the omissions of people of color from the curriculum, and avoiding difficult race-related issues. Because racism is so ingrained in the fabric of some of our institutions, it is easily self-perpetuating. And all that is required to maintain it is just to go about business as usual. Started to grow in understanding that. Did it make me a little uncomfortable? Sure did. Was it important? Yes, it is. The other things I grew into understanding is that even people of color do face certain barriers that I do not face as someone that's white. As I read, as I learned, as I looked, it made me sad. It made me sad to see that that it's not that people of color can't succeed, but there are more barriers overcome than I do. The fact that there's systemic issues in our institutions and cultural residue from the past that still have effect today on people of color. Guys, I'm just sharing my journey. These are things that God was doing in me. Just as he was doing with Peter and helping him to grow more self-aware. But you know, with this, I grew in my relationship with God through this I grew in that I grew in understanding and realizing that if I'm going to listen I can't be defensive I have to listen with humility and in a posture of listening and wanting to learn just as Peter did if you're going to listen if you want to learn you have to be in a posture of humility You have to be in a posture that's willing to hear what God wants you to hear. Sometimes, often, it may be uncomfortable. But God didn't want just Peter to be self-aware. And that's not where he just wants you and I to stop. He wants us to actually be people that are being partnering with the gospel and bringing peace to all people groups. And he wanted Peter to embrace a full gospel. And that's the second point. We can be partners of the gospel and bringing peace by embracing the full gospel that brings peace. You see, Peter had a narrow, underdeveloped, partial gospel. He recognized that vertical aspect, but the horizontal, multi-ethnic, restoring part of it, he did not fully grasp. And many today in the American church, unfortunately, have a partial gospel that is just about sending people to heaven when they die. But Jesus was more interested in building a church that would bring heaven to earth through a redeemed people. Yes, we go to heaven when we die. But, however, the gospel is an announcement about a king, King Jesus 
who established a kingdom by his death and by his resurrection to be a multi-ethnic, regenerated, redeemed people called the church who are empowered by the Spirit to bring a foretaste of what is to come. And when you and I bring peace among each other, we're showing the world that yes, there's hope in Jesus and that there's peace in Jesus. And that's why Jesus is king. We bring to the world a message the world so badly needs. Not just by what we say, but what we embody. And part of embracing this full gospel, God wanted Peter to move into this reality. Not just be self-aware of it. Part of embracing it is not even believing this thing about the vertical and horizontal relationship that Jesus brings, but moving into it. Entering into this reality. God's vision to Peter was not just to stop being racist, stop being prejudiced, but to embrace Cornelius, to go in and eat with him. An act of solidarity. And do you know what Peter gains by doing this? He not only gets God's plan, he not only partners with God in his plan, but he also exceeds and experiences God's heart. He experiences the presence of God. Look at what it says in verse 34. When Peter was there, finally in the house there, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone... Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Anyone of any race, of any nation, of any tribe, of any people group. He sees it and he opens his mouth and he recognizes this is not just God's plan, but this is God's heart. He sees that. That he just exclaims this in, in verse 34 when it says he opened his mouth. He opened his mouth. It's not just saying, well, he decided to say something. No, he it's opened his mouth because he, he just was overjoyed by what he has now just encountered. God and seeing this plan, but also God's heart. That John 3.16, as we know so well, for God so loved the world that whosoever that believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whosoever, that word, don't skip over, whosoever, whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever of all people groups, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're brown, whether you're any person of color, any nation, any religious group that comes under Christ, any Nation, any identity of ethnicity, whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. This is God's love for the world. God's heart for every person to come to him. And he sees this and experiences this. And so what does he do then? He shares with them God's heart. 
He tells them how Jesus was sent and how Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, how God, Jesus was anointed by God and how he went about doing good and healing all and then how he, they are witnesses of what he, that he did and then he would tell them how he, he was put to death by hanging on a tree on the cross but God raised him on the third day and made him appear not to all the people but to all of us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. He's starting to get it. He realizes that I'm supposed to be a witness of this to all the world. Remember Acts 1.8? Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is including all people groups of all races. He's starting to see it and he's just telling them the gospel and telling them how God was raised from the dead and they were witnesses of that and that he commanded them to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one appointed by God. And to him all the prophets bear witness. And then you know what he starts to, then what they get to see, a beautiful and wonderful gift that just shows Peter and shows the people there that this is God's love and heart for his people. To be one in Jesus, he pours out his spirit. He pours out his spirit. As it says in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They see God's heart by the Spirit poured out. That the Spirit was not just for those that were Jewish that embraced Jesus, but that the Holy Spirit is for all. And you see this all throughout Acts. From the Samaritan person to the person that the Ethiopian man to even other stories of those that were outside of the Jewish ethnic bubble. And that Jesus is our peace, not only between us and God, but to all people. And you and I, we need to embrace this reality and move into this reality and be agents of peace and of reconciliation. Why? Because when you don't When we don't, we are missing seeing and experiencing God's heart. Don't you want to see and experience God? Don't you want to experience his compassion, his love, his power, his authority? Don't you want to experience his presence? Well, this is God's heart as he wants us to be agents of peace and reconciliation. He wants us to embrace a full gospel that that celebrates our diversity. Celebrates all the differences. Not be colorblind, but be color blessed. Because God created us all in his image. And it's all beautiful. All beautiful. It shows us the beauty of our God. And we need to move into the reality of our unity. Our unity is in the fact that Jesus is our peace. Not in our first race, our second race, but our third race. That we are all Christians, a child of God. And when we embrace that, 
We give glory to God. We give glory to God. And I don't just dream it. Guys, I don't dream this. We don't need to dream this. We can see this. And I see it because it's a future reality that Jesus promises in Revelation 5. He says, of all people groups, when he says, Jesus saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. This is a future reality. It's going to be a wonderful diverse people. Every tribe and language and people and nation praising Jesus. But this is not something that we have to wait for in the future, folks. We can see this reality now. Because it's a promise. It is a promise that we see in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, saying that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. He is our peace. Will you stand too? Will you stand? Jesus changes us. Please stand. Jesus changes us. Jesus is the one that changes us to be one, to be humble, to be uh, confessing, to love, to forgive, to reconcile, and bring a foretaste of heaven on earth. That's what the church is called to do. And you and I, can be those agents of peace. And so Jesus, we praise you right now. We worship you and we praise you, Jesus, being the one that bring, brings peace. And fill us, Lord, we ask with your spirit to be agents of peace, to be reconcilers of all people groups. Help us to move into this reality as we just move towards one another, that we don't just sit back and think that it will just stop the injustice or the hostility. But Lord, that we embrace this reality that you have purchased through us for us in the gospel. Lord, change the atmosphere of our nation. Change the atmosphere of our church. Change the atmosphere of what just exists around us sometimes in this bubble we place ourselves in. Your spirit is here. Your spirit is here. Give us a foretaste of that heaven on earth. So Lord, we just worship you right now. We worship you. We want to give you praise. Because that's the appropriate response right now. Just praise to you, Jesus, being our peace our peace.